Today we're going to continue this series that we've been in this entire month called An Unexpected Christmas. Now, when I think about Christmas, you know, we, we usually think about all of our Christmas gatherings. And we think about our extended family kind of coming together. And uh, I think all people have some people in our extended families that are just a little bit harder to be around. Can we be that honest this morning? <laughs> a little bit harder to be around. We all have some people sometimes we maybe not that, that we're not extremely proud of. And as we think about our extended family, maybe even ones who, who can't come and be with us on Christmas. Maybe they do some things we're not proud of. And we love them. But sometimes being together is, is, is a real challenge. Well, I want you to know that the extended family of Jesus was no different. It was no different. Way back in the family tree of Jesus, there were some criminals. There were a prostitute or two. There were some murderers. And of course, I'm not talking about his immediate family. Not talking about even the people that lived during his lifetime. But long before Jesus was born, he had some extended family that just weren't perfect like Jesus was. So not even the family tree of Jesus was perfect. Now, the reason we're doing this series this month, the reason we're spending some time kind of looking at the lineage of Jesus, is for this reason, to prove that Jesus came for all of us, that he came for all imperfect people. He came for everybody in our family tree. And all of God's people said, amen. So that's why we're doing this series. He came for people that didn't have a desire to even know him. He came to people who were searching for him but didn't yet know him. He came to people who were already following God, but they had kind of walked away from God. Jesus came for people like you and me. He came to give grace and forgiveness to people who had already messed up. Like you and me and everybody in our, our own family tree. He even came for people like the ones that we've been meeting on video week after week at Velma's Diner. He came for people like that. And so as I begin this message, let's check back in with the people of Velma's Diner. They're getting ready to, to share their version of the Christmas story with their town. And as Velma would say it, they're going to do it Velma style. So check in on this. Previously on Velma's. We'll show that Fountain of Grace Memorial Church. We'll serve up Christmas Velma style. Served with a smile. Now, I'm still uh, waiting for the good Lord to bring my Mary along. Hey there, darling. Can I get you anything else? Some more coffee? It's not good for my baby. Oh, you're pregnant. How nice. <laughs> She's perfect. Perfectly wrong. What do you mean? Mary's got to be special and better than everyone else. Ma, don't you sound just like you're from the Fountain of Grace Memorial Church? This is different. And she's not the right girl. You mean the right kind of girl, don't you? You're 20 years old, aren't you, Mary Catherine, fiancé of G.I. Joseph? Yeah, how'd you know? I have a sense about these things. My mama, she had a sin about her. I think it was Lysol. You're going to be my Mary in our little nativity scene tomorrow night.
right about Kat. She is a sweetheart and the perfect choice for Mary. I tell you what, I think tonight's going to be better than I ever dreamed. Buddy, what are you doing with all that stuff? Oh, you know, well, with it being Christmas Eve and all, I'm, I'm going to build a Santa trap. You, you see, every year, the day after Christmas, I go back to the storeroom, and there's a brand-new apron hanging there with a crisp $50 bill in the pocket. And this year, I'm going to catch him. And then what? I ain't got that far. You know, buddy, there are some mysteries in life best unsolved. Well, if that was true, then they wouldn't have that unsolved mystery show, would they? <laughs> well, you got me there, buddy. You got me there. Excuse me, miss. Oh, yes. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> um, that woman who just went to the back back there, her name wouldn't be Valerie by any chance, would it? Who, <laughs> Velma? Is Velma's name Valerie? Well, obviously not. <laughs> so her name's Velma? Always has been. Uh, and she's from around here. Are you writing a book, mister? No, I, I'm sorry. Look, I, I just thought she was somebody that I knew from a long time ago. And I, well, since she's from around here, it's not possible that she's that person. Um, this woman owe you money or something? No, no, no. Nothing like that. <gasps> she's an old flame, isn't she? <laughs> and and you've, you've carried this torch for all these years? Well, something like that. She's an old girlfriend that left without a word. Oh, and you've been pining away ever since. Oh, how romantic. Mm, no, it's not that romantic. And not that it's any of your business, but she was pregnant when she left. I've always wondered what happened to my child. But hey, obviously it's not your Velma, right? Because she's from around here. Well, now, who said she's from around here? Nadine. What? Henry, we've always said that Velma's had a mysterious past. So she's not from around here. Well, she is, and she ain't. But how long have you been looking for this woman? Well, I gave up looking a while back, but I'd say maybe 25 years. Well, hold on. Did you just say 25 years? Yes. I mean, why? Why did? How long has she lived here? Well, it's kind of hard to say exactly. But I would guess uh, about 25 years. That cat is a sweetheart. Oh, hello there. Welcome to Velma's. <laughs> hello, Valerie. It's been a long time. So tell me, do I have a son or a daughter? That was Go Tell It on the Mountain. And speaking of which, I'm telling you, you better get on over to the community center and let Velma serve you up some Christmas spirit. I promise you, you don't want to miss it. Well, clearly she does. Come on, Velma, where are you? Any sign of her yet? Not hide nor hair. Oh. Yeah, let me tell you, that's a lot of hair to hide. Oh, come on now, Henry. <laughs> this is no time for joking. Uh, calm down, Nadine. She'll turn up. I don't know, Henry. She was real upset this morning. I yeah, we went by her trailer and it was all dark and all her garden gnomes were gone. Well, you don't think she'd leave without saying goodbye, do you? Well, you know she wouldn't. Besides, she never leaves town without putting butter here in the kennel. Oh, Henry. <laughs> oh, Henry, let me ask you something. How long have you known my mom and daddy? I don't know, um, since you were a little girl, I guess. But you didn't know them before I was born, did you? No, nah, I don't guess so. Um, why? It's nothing important. Well, I sure hope she shows up soon. In a few minutes, we're going to have a whole bunch of people ready for a Velma-style Christmas. So. Valerie. What? Well, I understand her name is Valerie. Okay, okay, I'm confused. I mean, why would Velma change her name to Valerie when everything around here already says Velma? No, honey, she, she changed her name from Valerie... To Velma. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm glad she finally came to her senses. 
But I think uh, Velma not being here is uh, probably the least of my worries. What do you know that you're not telling me, Henry? Well, I stopped by the firehouse to see if they've seen Velma. And, well, uh, they're all out of the big fire two counties away. What? No! But th those are our wise men! How can they come from afar if they're out fighting afar? Oh. Well, at least we'll have music. Well, I sure am glad to see you, Sonny. <laughs> oh, one more thing. Um, Bill Robinson came down with walking pneumonia, and the doctor sent him to bed. Uh, wait, if, if he had to go to bed, then why do they call it the walking pneumonia? Great! First no wise men, now no Joseph. So that leaves us with a Mary, an angel, some shepherds, and a whole bunch of animals. Oh, uh, I forgot to tell you something. What is it, buddy? It, it looks like a spoon. What? What did you forget to tell me? Um... Uh, I, I, I left the gate open last night and all the animals run off. Perfect. No wonder Velma left. I give up. Hey, Nadine, where's Velma? Miami Beach, if she's got any sense. Well, she never told us what carols to play. We don't have a Velma. We don't have any wise men. We don't have any animals. And we don't have a Joseph, so I guess you're about right. In fact, I'd say you're just right. Um, hey, Sonny, how tall are you? Uh, about six foot. Well, it doesn't matter. You'll do. Henry, go take him out back and show him Joseph's house coat of many colors. Uh, that's a different Joseph, Nadine. Do I look like I need a Sunday school lesson right now, Henry? Uh, let, let's go, Sonny. Just go. <sighs> oh, we got a little less than two hours, and we may just pull this thing off after all. Hey, buddy, go get me a whole bunch of animals. I don't care what they are. Just go. <gasps> Is that a fire truck? No, it's, it's a bus with big old sideburns oh. on the side. What? That boy has lost his... <gasps> it's Elvis. Oh, hey, darling. Uh, listen, my cell phone's busted. You got a phone I can borrow? Sure. <clears throat> Here you go. <laughs> oh, and um, do you have the time? Well, usually for Elvis, I'd make the time, but I'm a little busy right now, honey. <laughs> Actually, I mean, uh, what time is it? Oh, it, uh, it's 6.15. Thank you. Thank you very much. Hey, darling, listen. <clears throat> Me and the boys, there's no way we're going to make it home tonight. I think what we'll do is just park here, head on out in the morning. Okay, you too. All right, bye-bye. Merry Christmas. You're an Elvis impersonator, aren't you? Henry, you're brighter than a three-way bulb. Well, yes, I am. As a matter of fact, I'm one of three Elvises. We like to call ourselves, um, we three hangs. Avoiding our bearing gifts, we travel. That boy's not right, is he? Wait just a second. Say that last part again. Um, we three kings. Do you believe in miracles, Elvis? Well, Velma and her cast and crew are going to need a miracle <laughs> to pull off their Christmas pageant. But the miracle that Matthew's writing about, that he's about to uncover in his Christmas story, is the greatest miracle of all time, that it, the Savior came through a baby born at Christmas. And the miracle that he came to bring is the grace and forgiveness of God. So don't miss the grace-filled evening on Christmas Eve for everyone at Velma's Diner as we end this series and end with them 
It's going to be a great Christmas Eve right here. Now, Matthew and his genealogy points out people who really needed what we all need. And that's the grace and forgiveness of God. But Matthew points out the faults of one person that most everybody revered and respected. It was King David. Let's read the genealogy and kind of hang with me as I go through all of these names once again because it's going to bring us to King David. Here it is. This is a genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, Judah the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar, Perez the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, Ram the father of Amminadab, Amminadab the father of Nashon, Nashon the father of Salmon, Salmon the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab the prostitute, Boaz the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth, Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of King David. But then here it is. And David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. In this list of names in the family tree of Jesus, Matthew once again goes out of his way to point out a person's failure. And this time, David's failure with Uriah's wife. In fact, it's like Matthew slams on the brakes when he gets to David and forces everybody to kind of stop and think about one of David's most awful mistakes. I mean, why couldn't Matthew write about the revered King David as the awesome shepherd boy? As, as the warrior boy who killed the giant? As the fundraiser for the temple? As the psalm writer, the musician? I mean, there are so many things that you could say about King David. But when he gets to David, he says, David, the father of Solomon, whose mother was Uriah's wife. And he brings to the surface one of David's most awful mistakes. Why would Matthew draw attention to his biggest failures? Because it's not only part of the story, but it's the point of the story. It's the point of this whole story that he's about to tell as he unfolds the story of why Jesus actually came. He wants you and me to know that even though we have failed as leaders, as fathers and mothers, as husbands and wives, as friends, he wants us to know that we can still take part in the promise of Almighty God. Write this down as we begin. Even David is not excluded from God's promise. Not even David with all of his mistakes. And, and if we went and looked at David's life, there are a lot of things he did. I mean, he lied one time and it ended up in 85 priests being killed. He raped or his son raped somebody else and he never disciplined his own son. I mean, David did a lot of stuff. But even though David failed again and again, he's not excluded from God's promise. Write this down. God made a promise to David. God sent the prophet Nathan to deliver the most awesome promise to King David. Look at this. Now then tell my servant David, this is what the Lord Almighty says. I took you from the pasture, from tending the flock, and appointed you ruler over my people Israel. 
Now I will make your name great, like the names of the greatest men of the earth. That's an awesome promise. Now, that promise was made to David 3,000 years ago, but you know what? It came true. It came true. Most everybody has heard the name of David. Then Nathan the prophet says, the Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. Meaning, David, people are going to know about your house. People are going to know your name. From generation to generation, they're going to know about you. Then God says, when your days are over and you rest with your fathers, you're dead, you're in your grave, I'm going to raise up your offspring to succeed you, who will come from your own body, David, and I will establish his kingdom. So in other words, David, you're going to have a son. That son's going to become king, and his name was King Solomon. Then God says, he is the one who will build a house for my name. David, you don't get to build my temple. You've had too much blood on your hands. You've made too many mistakes, but my son Solomon will. Solomon did build the world-famous temple called Solomon's Temple, a wonder of the world. Then God says, he is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he will be my son. But then God says, when he does wrong... I will punish him with the rod wielded by human beings, with floggings inflicted by human hands. He's saying, David, when you or your descendants disobey me, when you stop following me, when you go into sin, there will be punishment. David, I am a good father, and I won't let sin go unpunished or unnoticed. Well, God's saying that to David because when, when David's son raped this woman, David just let it go by. He, he was a bad father. He wouldn't punish his own son. But God says, I'm not like that. I'm a good father. If you sin against me, if you disobey, I'll be like a good father and I'll discipline you. And then God says, but my love will never be taken away from him. As I took it away from Saul, whom I removed from before you. David, your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. This was the promise from God to David. Your house, your kingdom, your name will endure forever. And the Jews, as they, they read this, they understood this promise to mean that not only from David's house and name, not only would it endure, but from his house and name would come the Messiah from the line of David's house. And the Messiah would rule and throne and have his throne forever endure. And so the Jewish people understood that. So here's David with this awesome promise. Man, everybody's going to know my house. Everybody's going to know my name. I'm going to be among the greatest men ever remembered forever and ever. And the Messiah's going to come from my house and, and through my lineage. Awesome promise. But then David gives God some really good reasons to just retract his promise. First of all, David's standing on a balcony in his palace, overlooking the city one night, and he sees a stunning woman taking a bath outside. He calls in his servant. He says, who is that? Who is that? And the servant says, that's your general's wife. That's Uriah's wife, Bathsheba. And David says, well, where's Uriah? And the servant says, well, he's out on the battlefield right now. David says, bring her to me. I want to talk with her. 
But he did more than talk with her. And just a few weeks later, the servant comes back to David and says, David, she's pregnant with your child. Now David's got a mess on his hands that he's got to somehow clean up. So David orders Uriah to come home. He asks General Uriah for an update on the battle. Uriah gives him the update, and then David says, well, General, General Uriah, go spend the night at home. Go, go spend the night with your wife and go back to the battle tomorrow. Now, I, I read that and I say, now, isn't David being such a thoughtful, nice king? No, he's being a cunning king. But Uriah spends the night outside the king's gate because he just couldn't bring himself to go home and spend a night at home, enjoy his wife when his men are out fighting and dying. Couldn't do it. So he sleeps outside the king's gate. When David finds out, he says to Uriah, Uriah, you haven't been here very long. You need to rest up. Stay one more night. But then David takes Uriah out and gets him drunk, staggering drunk. And then he says, Uriah, you know, go on home. Spend the night at home with your wife. Go back to the battle tomorrow. But David gets up the next morning and discovers that Uriah again spent the night outside his gate. At this point, I'm thinking, Uriah ought to be king. Amen? (laughs) He's more righteous than David. He ought to be king. But God had made this promise to David. Well, then second, David writes a message to Joab, which is the battlefield commander and is Uriah's superior. He writes a note. And the message says, put Uriah and his men out on the front line. And in the heat of the battle... Draw everybody back and leave Uriah exposed. Pull everybody back and leave Uriah by himself. Now get this. David writes that note. He seals the order. He hands it to Uriah to deliver to his superior commander, Joab. So Uriah is now delivering his own death sentence. And I'm thinking, man, David, how low can you go? Uriah delivers it, Joab obeys, Uriah dies. And the news gets back to Bathsheba and she begins to mourn. David steps up, marries her, says, I'll take care of you. And from his perspective, he's now in the clear. He's cleaned up the mess. And from the people's perspective, oh, David, what a wonderful king. You took in the wife of your general who was killed in battle. David, what an awesome king you are. But God knew the truth. He knew the truth. And the Bible says the thing that David had done was evil in the sight of the Lord. And at this point, I'm thinking, God, you should just retract your promise. God, this can't be the guy that you want to have remembered down through the generations. This can't be the guy that you want his house to be known forever. But then Nathan the prophet comes back to David. He confronts David over his sin. And David, whom the Bible says had a heart for God, even though he messed up again and again, says he has a heart for God. David responds by going to the temple and falling on his face and confessing his sins. And God forgives David. But he says, David, there will also be discipline. And man, was God's discipline hard. David's entire family fell apart. His sons went to war with each other. His favorite son killed his oldest son. Then his favorite general 
Joab came back and murdered his favorite son. His family was split. His kingdom was divided for his time. One of his sons humiliated him in such an awful way that David had to leave the palace for a time. But through all of that chaos, God never retracted his promise to David. Instead, write this down. God kept his promise to David. And I'm asking, why? Why would you want to do that for a person like David? It's because, folks, God keeps his promises. Amen? Amen. God never goes back on his word. And his promise to David was an eternal promise. Now, listen really close. I want you to get this. It was an eternal promise to the point that 990 years later, a man in the line of David named Joseph, along with his pregnant wife Mary, went to the city of Bethlehem, which was known in those days as the city of David. And there she gave birth to Jesus, the great, 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 28 times great grandson of King David. Why? Because God keeps his promises. Even David's sinful behavior did not cause God to retract his promise that through the line of David, the Messiah will come. Even David is not excluded from God's promise. And then write this next truth down. And that means that everyone is included in God's promise. Everybody is included. So whether you're a Judah or whether you're a Rahab, the prostitute, whether you're a a David that's, that's unfaithful, an adulterer, a murderer, or you're a Matthew who's writing this story, but he was a, a cheating, over-collecting, ex-tax collector. No matter who you are, you are included in God's promise. And so, as Matthew writes this story about a Savior that's coming into the world, he wants everybody to know that no matter what they have not done, or no matter what they have done, they too are included in the promise of God, which is a promise of grace. And forgiveness that's to come from the Savior born in Bethlehem. Matthew wanted everybody to know that when God makes a promise, God keeps it. He wanted everybody to know that God was now making a new promise through this baby born in the stable in Bethlehem. Not just a promise for one man like David, but a promise for all men, all women, all children of all time. That those who believe in Jesus... Those who follow him would not perish, the Bible says, but they would have everlasting life in heaven. And all of God's people said, amen. And just as God kept his promise to David, he would now keep his new promise of grace and forgiveness and everlasting life to anybody, to all mankind who would turn to his son born in Bethlehem. This new promise was even prophesied in the Old Testament in the book of Isaiah. God spoke through Isaiah and said, My righteous servant, Jesus, will justify many. But then an angel of the Lord came and declared that this new promise of God was for all people in the New Testament book of Luke. The angel said, I bring you good news of great joy. Look at this. That will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. Write this down. The Savior has come to you. You are part of all the people 
And folks, that is really good news because God's making a new promise to all the people through the coming of his son. All the good people, all the bad people, all the in-between people, all the people who think they're better than other people, all the people who think they don't have a chance with God, all the people who think they're set with God because maybe they've gone to church, maybe they've given some money, maybe they've been to confession, maybe they've been to math. He's coming for all the people. The Bible says, today in the town of David, in the same town of a man who really messed up, a Savior has been born to you. And then the Bible says, suddenly a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. Peace to those on whom Jesus' favor rests. Listen, God promised you a Savior in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. And he gave you a Savior. His name is Jesus. Amen? And Jesus came for all people. Good and bad. And that means he came for you. He came for me. You are included in God's promise. To send you a Savior who can forgive you for all of your sins. Past present, and even future. Listen, if God can forgive a Matthew, if he can forgive a Judah and a Tamar and a Rahab and a David, he can forgive you. God sent Jesus to pay for sin once for all so that you could come to God, not on the basis of what you got right or what you didn't get right, but on the basis of what he has done for you. And just as the promise to David was not retracted due to his sin, God won't retract his promise to you due to your sin. Well, that calls for a big amen. 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 And even when you're walking as close to God, God still knows that you're probably going to blow it and sin down the future. But what's he still give you? He gives you grace and he gives you forgiveness. Man. You can get right with God no matter how great your sin. You can get right with God no matter how great your sin. You can be right. You can stay right with God no matter how great your sin has been. Because the Savior's come. Look at this and write it down. He's come to give peace to you. He's come to give peace to you. And folks, that's really the message of Christmas. He came to forgive your sin and to replace it with peace from him and peace with him. Matthew tells us about the bad things that the people in the line of Jesus did to give you and me hope that our sins can be forgiven by the Savior born by Jesus. And so once you come to Jesus and once you confess your sins, you can really then begin, maybe for the first time ever, Really celebrate Christmas because you become a recipient of his promise. Salvation from the penalty you deserve for all of your sins. And listen close. And when you really give your life to Christ. When you turn your back on sin and really begin to follow him. You can really celebrate him because in your heart. You now know that you know that you know that you are forgiven. And you'll even feel washed and clean 
and forgiven. And you will be free to really celebrate because your Savior has come and he has given you grace and forgiveness and peace with God. Folks, grace and forgiveness and peace is the whole point of Christmas. As a culture, we've made Christmas be this big, huge, enormous thing. But what Christmas really is, it's about grace, the grace of God upon people that he created, people that he loves, his willingness to forgive them and have their sins paid by his baby born in Bethlehem one day later on a cross, and then to put within their hearts a peace that passes all understanding. That's what God came to do. So I want to ask you this Christmas, have you really experienced God's peace? I mean, really, have, can you say that you've really experienced the peace of God in your life? Sometimes in our culture, not only at Christmas time, but we just run from one thing to the next, to the next, to the next, because if we slow down, we realize we really don't have the peace of God. And it drives us crazy. So we start running again and going nuts, doing all kinds of stuff because we don't have that sense of peace in our hearts. But God has made that promise to you and God will keep his promise to you. And so if you've not yet experienced his peace, why not make this the Christmas where you come to the Savior that was born for you and I guarantee you that if you do that, you will have an unexpected peace this Christmas like you've never had before. You'll be able to go through all of the celebrations and all of the dinners and all of the lunches and all the openings of the presents. And it's all going to be great. But deep down inside, there's going to be the peace of God. Knowing that you are right with him. And so I'm going to ask you, if you can't say you've got that peace of God in your heart, right now, you can come to him because he was born for you. Amen? Amen. He was born for you. So as I pray, would you repeat this prayer in your heart? If you've not asked Christ to come into your life and give you grace and forgiveness and peace, would you do that this morning? As I pray, just repeat this in your heart. Heavenly Father, I believe you are the great promise keeper. You kept your promise to David. And I believe you'll keep your promise to me. So I confess that I have sinned and that I need a Savior. So I ask you, Jesus, to come into my life to cover my sins with your grace. To forgive me for all my sins. And to fill me with your peace. I ask this in the Savior's name. With your head still bowed, if you prayed that this morning and, and you're serious about wanting the peace of God, the forgiveness and grace of God in your life, you just lift your hand and say, Pastor, I want to let you know and I want to confess to God that I prayed that prayer. 
Awesome. Just lift your hand wherever you are. Awesome. Thank you. Father, we just pray for those who prayed this prayer, Lord, that you would give them an awesome sense by the present Holy Spirit in their life that they are right with you. Pray that you would bless them with a a peace like they've not experienced maybe ever before because you came into this world to give a peace that's not like the world's peace. Lord, let them experience your peace, I pray in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen.